It's good to be in church. Uh, I said that already, so I'll say it again. It's good to be in church, isn't it? Uh, and I was thinking this week about church. Do you ever think about church? I do. It's one of the things I do through the week. Uh, I was thinking about church, and you know, I've been involved. I grew up in a church in Wellington. We met, used to meet in Lower Hutt. It was called Wellington Church, though. And uh, we used to meet in the Senior Citizens Hall in Lower Hutt. It no longer exists. Uh, and, um, and then uh, we shifted out to Paraparam, and I went to a church called Paraparam Christian Centre. Uh, and that we used to meet in that church. We used to meet in the Girl Guides Hall for church. And then conveniently, next door was a, uh, a scout hall. Uh, and the kids' programs were in the scout hall. And then sometimes we were able to make so much noise in the scout hall that it would disrupt the service, uh, which is always our goal. I think it was actually the leaders of the program was their goal as well. Uh, and, uh, and, you know, and then, uh, then our church grew in Paraprem and we ended up in the Paraprem College Hall in the auditorium, and that was that was awkward being at church in the same auditorium that you went to school at, because uh, you, you never could relax at church. You're waiting for someone to tell you off, but that was true of church as well as school, anyway. But and uh, and uh, and you know, um, we, when we shifted to Auckland, Christy and I, we went to Equipers Church. It was called Auckland City Church at the time, and that was in the Mercury Theatre, which is actually a, a the building seems similar to this because the chairs are red uh, as well, and it's actually the same sort of age as this building, but somewhat more decorative. Uh, and, and, you know, I was thinking about church this week, and, you know, I've never, when I've been part of a church, I've never thought about, really thought much about the buildings. Do you know what I mean? Uh, like in Equipers in London, we were in, um, we were in a lecture theater at a university, and it was, all, it was all just one tier, but it was one of those pull-out tiers. So if anyone wriggled in their seat, it was like the whole thing would get clattering. Do you know what I mean? And then we had a parents' room. And here we've got a parents' room. It's, it's actually in one of the movie theaters at the back. And so if you've got a little baby, you can go and, uh, you know, mums can breastfeed or whatever. They can feed their babies out there uh, in the parents' room. And there's a video feed. And when, um, when Madeline was small, we had a parents' room as well. Uh, and the mums used to feed the, the babies in their parents' room. And, and that was just, they used to just sit on, on a bench underneath the bleachers. Uh, they, were, they could look out through a crack between people's feet and see the preaching. Uh, and they had a bit of privacy there, and uh, it was perfect. It worked out perfectly, and there was no need for audiovisual equipment to make it happen. Uh, but, you know, um, I was thinking someone else as well. Then um, when they were, when they were uh, like a primary school kid in, in church, they, the church crèche, the whole, there was a kids' program, and then there was a crèche, which was everyone who was, wasn't able to pay attention long enough for the kids' program. Uh, and the crèche was a circle of chairs and a box of toys. Uh, you know, and uh, you know, sometimes we think about all of the things that church might be, and I don't know what church, what you think about church, but you know what I reckon church is, the, the real essence of church? And I've loved all of the churches that I've been a part of, and wherever they've met, whatever. Church is the vibe. It's the, it's the buzz of who we are as people. Uh, do you know, we could, be, we could be terrible at preaching, rubbish at singing, and obviously we're brilliant at both of those. Uh, we, could ha- we could have, you know, uh, we could have, uh, you know, hosting T-shirts that were not red, uh, some other color that was not right. Uh, you, know, we, you know, there's a whole lot of things we could be terrible at, and we could still be a good church. We could, we could meet in any old space anywhere in our city, but what's great, do you know what's great about Equipers Wellington? We are. We're great. Do you know what I mean? We're awesome. We're an amazing group of people. Do you know what I mean? I just had an awesome, this morning, just sitting down next to Carol, chatting in the foyer, making jokes. Uh, you know, it's just awesome to be part of a family of people, isn't it? Do you know, have a look around the room. These, these are people you'd never get to meet otherwise. Uh, but instead of just meeting them, you get to be part of a family. Amen? And I think that's an awesome, awesome thing. So I encourage you. Just, I encourage you. You are awesome. 
You are awesome, and it's awesome to be part of a vibe like that. Amen? Well, if you've got your Bible, and you grab it? And uh, we're going to read. I was going to read from my analog old school Bible today, but actually it's too dark here uh, to read, and uh, I'm going to have to do uh, sermon notes on an angle uh, so I can see. And if, so if you're reading, uh, those of you who use an electronic device for your Bible, you're in the winner. You're going to win today because you can actually see the words. Uh, anyway, Romans chapter 13 we're going to read from. And it's probably a passage of Scripture you know, It doesn't get preached much anymore. Romans chapter 13, the first part of it was all about respecting authority, which is very anti-New Zealand. Uh, and uh, most, most, it's a pretty, it'd be a pretty, you'd get hit with rocks, I think, if you preach it in New Zealand. It's about respecting the government, pastors, school teachers, people like that, fathers, leaders. Yeah, yeah anyway, we're, we're skipping past that bit so we can still be left-wing extremists. Uh, and we're going to read from Romans chapter 8, verse 1. I had to explain to Maddie today how many people, um, when you have teenagers, you have to start explaining what they talk about at school. You have to explain the actual realities. Uh, and so, and school and social studies, they were talking about, um, and Madeline asked the question, oh, why is the government selling all the state ho- houses so no one's got anywhere to live? And I had to explain to her that the person teaching you that is part of the opposition, right? <laughs> You've got to understand that it's the whole school system is run by the strongest union in the country. And so we had to talk about trade unionism and um, the communism. And then we had to talk about the fact that there's a whole lot of ways to house people. We don't have to own it anyway. anyway. And I said, why don't you ask you? So I gave her a list of questions to ask the teacher in class next week, which let's hope she doesn't ask those. Anyhow... <laughs> Anyhow, Romans chapter 13, verse 8. We'll leave out the, the more political passages. It says this, Owe nothing to anyone. Sorry about the pause. I was waiting for the words to arrive. I'm not as clever at Jono as Jono. Owe nothing to anyone. Owe nothing to anyone except your obligation to love one another. If, you're, if you love your neighbor... You will fulfill the requirements of God's law. So owe nothing to anyone. If you love your neighbor, you will fulfill the requirements of God's law. For the commandments say you must not commit adultery, you must not murder, you must not steal. If this is news to you, write these down. You must not cover. So that's some of the community, the um, commandments. It goes on and says, and other such commandments. Uh, and they're summed up in one commandment. How many people know one commandment sums up the whole law and prophets? Love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no wrong to others, so love fulfills the requirements of God's law. This is all the more urgent, for you know how late it is. The time is running out. Everyone say it's running out. If you don't think time's running out, you need to watch the news. Wake up, for your salvation is nearer now than when you first believed. Now, that's a basic piece of logic. The final salvation of the world is nearer now than when we first believed. The night is almost gone. The day of salvation will soon be here. So remove your dark deeds like dirty clothes and put on the shining armor of right living. That's a beautiful piece of poetry. Remove your dark deeds like dirty clothes. Isn't that interesting? Do you know, sometimes you think that could be, that's quite a strong statement of judgment. And, you know, if you're thinking of, maybe you think of some particularly dark deeds you've done this week. It could sound like a strong voice of judgment, but it's not. It's a, that's, a, that's a statement of freedom. Because, because you can remove your dark deeds. 
you can just take them off like the dirty clothes that you would take off every day. If you turned up in dirty clothes, your mum's not going to say, oh, you're filthy and horrible mongrel. They're just going to say, get in the laundry and take your clothes off. Get changed. You know what I mean? Put on some clean clothes. And that's the same way God looks at us when he looks at our lives. So often we think our, our sin defines us, but it's actually the love of God that defines us. We are, we are the loved of God. We're not our dirty clothes. When your kids come home from rugby practice dirty, you, you don't throw them in the washing machine. Uh, you, you do throw them in the bath. And you might even, clothes get so dirty, you have to throw the clothes out, right? But clothes never get so dirty, you have to throw the person wearing the clothes out. Uh, and it's the same for God. God doesn't look down. God when, God, when we sin, when we fall short of God's plan, God doesn't see our sin. He sees His grace. He sees the righteousness of Christ, right? And so the instruction here is take off your, take off your dark deeds because the time is running out. Amen? And there's a good list of dark deeds here. We'll read these because it'll make you feel uncomfortable. Because we belong to the day, we must live decent lives for everyone to see. Don't participate in the darkness of wild parties and drunkenness or in sexual promiscuity or immoral living or in quarreling and jealousy. What a crazy list. The Bible's full of these great lists, isn't it? Isn't this a great list? I like this. There's some great old school church words here. Don't participate in the darkness of wild parties and drunkenness. Yeah, obviously. Yeah. Sexual promiscuity, right? So don't just sleep with any old person. Immoral living. So get away from the immoral living. Take it you know, or quarreling. Oh. <laughs> what? Because <laughs> quarreling is something we love to do, isn't it? Some of us love quarreling like some of the other residents of this neighborhood love some of the other things on this list, right? What about the other one? Or jealousy. Well, we never get jealous, do we? No, not proper jealous, but we do. Anyhow, I'm moving on, right? And it's one of these great lists of sin in the Bible. I love there's one that talks about murder and sodomy and all sorts of stuff, and then it talks about disrespecting your parents. It's like, uh, hold on. You know, it's almost like sometimes our list of what's a really bad sin and what's not a really bad sin is just our list. Really, God's view is that, hey, when we're falling short of what His glorious standard, we're in a weird place. And there we've got, there, there's, there's freedom in this. It says, hey, there's stuff we can take off, right? And we can clothe ourselves in the shining armor of right living. What, could, what would that look like to clothe yourself in the shining armor of right living? Like I said earlier, a miracle doesn't take time. How long, would it, how long does it take for God to do that, for, for us to take off our dirty clothes and for us to be clothed in the shining armor of right living? That could happen this morning. That could happen. Maybe it would take one second. Maybe it would take two seconds. Come on, if we're talking about a miracle, it's not a process we're talking about. We're talking about God doing a miracle in us. And I don't need to trust in a process. I don't need a process of, of habit change. You know, it would be great to get better habits, wouldn't it? But I'm not going to trust in my ability to change my habits. I'm going to trust in the grace of God and the ability of the Holy Spirit to redeem me and redefine me in my world. Amen? Instead, clothe yourself with the presence of the Lord Jesus Christ and don't let, you, don't let yourself think about ways to indulge your evil desires. Well, this is our series called Money May, right? And you might think that's a weird passage to read when we're talking about money, but it's actually about money, this passage. It starts off with this statement, owe no one anything. The old translation says, let every debt be settled, right? So don't owe anyone anything financially. And we're talking this morning about escaping debt. And I think we've got a, I, my personal view about money, my personal understanding of money is this, that there are right ways and wrong ways to think about money. There's a faithful way and an unfaithful way to live with our money. And I reckon across these four Sundays, I think we're going to talk about money. I'm really praying that you'd be provoked in your thinking. 
Do you know one of the one of the best things I've ever read? Someone someone wrote about the Bible, about reading the Bible, and and um and I'll share it with you right now. Is when you read the Bible, you have to work hard to remember you're not the good guy in every story. Right? Because if you read the Bible like you're the good guy, so out of the soil, you're the good soil, and you know, the wheat and the tears, you're the wheat. Uh, you know, the, the sheep and the goats, you're the sheep, right? If you're always the good guy, you're not going to learn much in the Bible, right? If you're David and you're not Goliath, if, if you're King David, not King Saul, if, if you're the, the first part of Solomon, not the second part of Solomon, uh, if you're always the good guy, if you're Noah who built the ark, but you're not Noah who got drunk, right? If, if you're always the good guy, you're going to miss the whole thing, right? And it's the same when we think about money. If we think, if we think what we think about money is the same as what God thinks about money, we need to think again, right? Because your thoughts are not God's thoughts. God's got a, a, there's a way of thinking about money that's beyond what you think. And you might be, well, you're not been in church since before you were born. And you know what? I don't care. The reality is you're still just a human being and I'm still just a human being. And we need to allow the Word of God to impact us in a way that shapes us for His purposes, shapes us for freedom, shapes us for His call, because there's more to life than what we're currently experiencing. Do you know why I know that's true? Because Jesus hasn't come back yet. So there's some more, there's some distance for us to travel. Amen? If you believe it, say amen. Okay, okay. So we, uh, we've, we've, had one seri- we've had one message already about money. Uh, and, uh, and, and I think the reality is true. That when, when, when we think about what Jesus thought about money, uh, we, we talked about the parable of the shrewd manager. When Jesus talked about money, uh, for Jesus, money wasn't really important. He talked about money more than he talked about just about anything else. In fact, the Bible talks about mentions money and deals with issues of money right the way through because money is so closely attached, so closely connected to our heart. How you think about money is going to have a direct, not an indirect, it's going to have a direct impact on how you think about your work. If you think wrongly about money, you will never think correctly about your work. You know, if you think wrongly about money, you'll never think correctly about the call of God that's on your life to influence within your workplace and to change within, your, within the industry that you're in, right? Because if it's about money rather than the call, you're going to get things mixed up. In Jesus, in Jesus' terminology, in Jesus' teaching, money was always about the mission. It was always about the plan. Money was never a huge issue for Jesus, uh, but he talked about it a lot because it connects directly with our heart. And there is, I really believe there is a way to do money. There's a way to think about money, and there's a way to operate with our money that is faithful. It's true to who Jesus is. It's true to our relationship with him. And there's a way to think about money, and there's a way to do money that's not true. It's not faithful to who Jesus is. And I'm not saying that's going to affect whether you get to heaven or not. I'm not, it's not whether you're a Christian or not. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about the way you do money, the way you think about money. Because you can be a Christian and think about money all wrong. Right? True. If, it, if it's possible for other Christians to be wrong about something, right, it's possible for you to be wrong about something. Right? It's possible for me to be wrong about something, right? But we've got to, we actually need to allow God to speak to us so we can get a faithful view of money. Amen? Money's not about, do you know money, what money's not about? It's not about comfort. It's not about power. And it's not about security. It's about the mission. Because we find our comfort in the cross. Which where we find forgiveness for our sin. That's our, that's our comfort, isn't it? Because isn't that really the biggest problem in our life is that we're estranged from Father, our Father God who loves us? Really? Money's not going to fix that problem, was it? It's actually only the cross that fixes that problem. So the cross, we find comfort, right? Uh, and and where, do we, we, where do we find our power? 
Is it our money that gives us power? It's not money that gives our church power. It's not money that gives you power. It's the indwelling presence of the Holy Spirit that gives you power. That's where your power comes from. And if you think power is, is money's going to help you with power, then you've got money wrong. Money helps us with the mission, not with our comfort, not with our power, and not with our security, because our security, right, is in heaven. Isn't it? Our hope is in all, our security is in heaven, right? Oh, I feel insecure. Do you feel insecure? Because maybe you don't have enough retirement savings. That, that, could, that would, could be terrible. It might make for a difficult few years or 20 years, right? But really, what is our, where is our ultimate security lie? Our ultimate hope is in heaven. And you're like, well, but you need good retirement savings, Jordan. What? Yeah, maybe, yeah, but I'm not talking about that. Like, I'm talking about security because you can have retirement savings that are worth nothing overnight. Do you know, in the Eastern Bloc countries, when communism swept through, people's, people who were retiring that week, their life savings suddenly was able to buy them a leg of lamb. One, that's one true example I know of, right? People in their 60s retiring, they've been saving their whole working life, and it was able to buy them a leg of lamb, right? What hope did they have? What hope do those people have other than something bigger than this world system that they're in, right? Could that happen in New Zealand? Oh, that could never happen in New Zealand. Really? <laughs> could it? Oh, couldn't Because oh, I would suggest that you the most dangerous thing to put your hope in and your trust in is in, is in money. That'd be the most dangerous thing to put your hope and your trust in because that changes pretty easily. Amen? Uh, very good. Well, I don't know if you've ever had a chance to go caving. Has anyone ever been caving? A quick show of hands. A few people have been caving. Yeah. Jimmy's been caving. That's awesome, Jimmy. Glowworms. Now, glowworms are awesome. Have you ever known glowworms are awesome? Do you know you can see glowworms in the Botanic Gardens? There's some glowworm spots. Yeah, Alistair knows. Oh, good. Anyhow, moving on to my story about caving. It's about me. Uh, anyhow, I went to caving once on a, I did a school, there was a school teacher's trip that they did uh, to the Stradmond Hillary Outdoor Pursuit Center. It's on the Central Plateau. In, uh, and, and me and the other PE teacher were like, oh, they're doing this trip for teachers who might be taking groups. There was no way in the world we were taking a group there, but I thought, let's go and check it out. And so we got like a free weekend at the Outdoor Pursuit Center, got to try out all this stuff. And one of the things we did was caving, and caving is awesome. And I want to I recommend it. I don't recommend you go find a cave and just explore it, but I recommend if you get, ever get the opportunity to go caving, you should definitely do it, right? Better than abseiling or anything else like that, because you get to do like, I knew that caving, and a few things I knew about caving, I knew it would be dark. I knew it would be dark. I didn't know how dark, but I knew it would be dark, right? I didn't know that until I went caving, I didn't really know what dark meant, right? But I knew it would be dark. I didn't realize it would be so wet, right, and quite muddy, right? Not much different to just rolling around in mud and dirt and stuff like that. In fact, that was definitely a part of it was just slipping around in mud, which... Yeah, once you get into it, it's fine. You know, once you, once you are wet and muddy, the rest of it was fine. I didn't realize it would involve so much climbing, right? There was a lot of actual rock climbing in the cave uh, in the dark. And, uh, and I also didn't realize it would be quite so, the, the gaps that we went through would be quite so tight. Uh, you know, there, you know uh, everyone's got like, that space, like in, uh, you know, close spaces and dark and, you know, anyhow. And uh, it was interesting. And so, um, you know, how many you know, outdoor pursuits guides, uh, they're a special breed of people, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. They're, you know, I wouldn't go so far as to say they're, they're crazy, but, you know, um, they, you know, anyhow. So we're going on this tour, and we're touring all around. And, and uh, one of the things we had to go through, the obstacles we went through, is called the post box, right? Guess what it's like? It's like a post box. Now, those of you who are young, uh, before there was email, 
Uh, some of us actually had to learn about email. Someone had to tell, teach me about it. And I can remember saying to the person when they taught me, I said, wow, this is going to change the world. And they said to me, it already has. Uh, <laughs> and uh, anyway, I joined in the, uh, the email revolution, and uh, that was in the year 1999. Anyhow, um, the post box was uh, where you used to put letters in. You ask your grandmother about it. And um, there was a gap in the rock, basically, the rock face, and there was a gap in it that was like that sort of wide, and you had to post yourself through it. Yeah, 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 yeah. So you, and so you sort of post, you sort of wriggle up in it, and then you post yourself through it. And you sort of didn't know what was on the other side because you're sort of posting yourself into the darkness. Obviously, the, the instructors know, but they, don't, they only tell you bits that they want you to know. Uh, you know, and so you sort of post yourself, and you know when you're just like, and so you're going face forward, and it, it was only like a drop about that much, but for just for a second, it's like, Whoa, you're pitching yourself into like a vacant darkness. Uh, and I recommend it. It was awesome. And then once we were in the other side, was like, a, it was actually someone had lived there. It's a, it's a, a cave that had been inhabited. Uh, and um, obviously, we got to hear the, the history slash legend of the dwellers of the cave and the, the fact that uh, the guy who lived there, his wife went missing in the cave one day, and she's, you can still hear her singing, right? And so then we're all very quiet. Of course, the wind's blowing. I'm sure it's the wind is blowing somewhere in the cave through some sort of passages. And obviously, there's, a, there's the voice of a moldy woman that I can still hear now. Uh, if, I, if I'm in a dark place, I can still hear the voice of her wayata, right? Anyhow, it was awesome because they make you take the, they t- you have to turn off all your torches and then they tell you the story. Uh, and uh, it was awesome. And then, but then we got, the highlight of the trip was probably this area, this, this thing called Pooh Bear's Crack. And, um, and, uh, and I think it's a reference to the story as opposed to Pooh Bear's anatomy, right? So uh, there's a story where Pooh Bear gets stuck in a rabbit's hole, right? Because uh, he's eaten too much honey. So those of you who are thinking of a bottom, it's not really like that. Uh, and uh, anyhow, yeah, it's a, it, was a, it was a narrow sort of crack in the face, and then it goes down to about literally just about that wide at the bottom. And you, so you have to lie on the floor, and then you put your feet in first, and you, and you, start shuffle, you just shuffle through, you know, feet, and then your arms, and you wriggly, shuffly, wriggly, shuffly, and, uh, which is all, all, all awesome. But it, it was just a bit too long, like, because you had, you had to be fully in before you could feel yourself popping out. Do you know what I mean? So it was at the moment that you're fully in, you're just like, and then you start to, you know, because it's a bit tight on your chest, and then you start to breathe more, you know, and then it feels tighter, and you just have to, how many of you feel uncomfortable just, the, yeah, Emma's like panicking on the front row. It's the host and Emma going to pass around some brown paper bags in a minute. Uh, but anyway, but at right at that point, there's a rock that just catches you under the butt cheek. Do you know what I mean? So you have to, as you're going along, you have to wriggle up over that rock. Yeah, anyway, it was pretty tight, and actually for some, it was too tight. Uh, and they had to be pulled out by their hands and, and, and talked to and, you know, and nursed back to the surface. Uh, but it was pretty tight. But anyway, we got to the other side, and then the instructors give us, um, they took our torches off us, which I thought was unfair, uh, but they gave us, though, a candle uh, and, a, and a, a match, so uh, just like a box with three matches. So a box of three matches, one candle, there's a bunch of us, and uh, about ten of us, and uh, enough people to argue over the candle. That's what that... Uh, <laughs> anyway, uh, and, um, and then they gave us a map, and then they went back. They went back out another way. So they went that way. They said, you need to go that way, and then they went that way. We found out later that they were just following us. They just went around the corner. And then they just followed us without their torches because they knew the cave really well. 
And that's their entertainment for the week is watching, following us and watching us argue over the one candle. Uh, and we had the map and it was awesome. We made it. We made our way out just with the one candle and it went out twice. We used all three matches. Uh, and uh, it went out because the cave got, the way they sent us got narrow, it got lower and lower. And then, then it, we were in a river and the cave was getting lower and lower. And then we're like, <laughs> candle is just above the water. One person put it in, and that was a bad, but that was a bit of a, right, because it's pitch black, right? And then who's got the matches? Where are you? You know, knocking your head up on the your helmet, up onto the, it was awesome. <laughs> Do you know, I, I reckon, I reckon debt is like being in that in a cave. Alright, lots of lot. When you're under emotional pressure, it's like a, a cave is. I reckon it's the best analogy of what I feel like when I'm under pressure. You know, how do you know? Uh, it's really easy to get into a cave. <laughs> it's really hard to get out. Do you know what I mean? And uh, and, and and in fact, without a light, you you really actually without a light in a cave. Do you know what I mean? You really might as well be nowhere. Like you actually literally are. It's not like it's not like being if you've been out at night in the bush. Even like when you're out at night in the bush, that is darker than darker than dark. This is like a whole nother level of dark. And I think I don't know about you, but I've definitely felt that in my own life when faced with financial pressure, where re- literally I don't have a clue how we got here. Literally, I have no clue how we got here, and I've got, and I don't have the resources to get out of it. You know, the reality is when you get stuck in, when you get into debt, into, and into when I, what I would talk about as dumb debt, when you get into some dumb debt ar- 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 around where you borrowed money for things you don't that you don't really have anymore, like you borrowed money for something that's now run out, or or you've you've you've, you've been pressured into debt. I have a friend who is pressured into some really debt, uh, really big debt from a fa- on a family perspective. He signed a bunch of stuff for his mum to borrow a, buy a car, and you know it was it was the world's worst thing ever. And he ended up as a twenty three year old owning owing forty seven thousand uh, dollars to a loan company, right? Um, and, and you know, and, and how many know that that that's a you know talking to him and he and that was a pretty difficult conversation of how did you get here? He didn't even know how. I don't know why. I don't know. You know, it's just family stuff, and you know, and I don't know if you've ever felt that feeling, that crushing darkness of how are we actually going to how do we actually get out of it? And you know, the reality is, if you got there, you don't have the power to get out. Because if you had the power to get out, you wouldn't have got there. And that's one of the, the, the real true things about finances and money. Where you are right now is a reflection of your abilities with money, right? It is a reflection, not entirely, but it's a reflection of your abilities with money. It doesn't tell the whole story, right? Because there is such a thing as bad luck and bad things happening, right? But the reality is wherever you're at with your money, your current level of skills and your current level of understanding and your current level of revelation from God is what you got you there. Right, you actually need a map. You actually need a light if you're going to find your way out. So I'm really praying today that the light goes on for some people. And I'm going to talk practically at the end of the message or next week, based on the time we've got. Uh, but I want to talk practically. But I also want to talk about the first thing I want to do is I want to talk about where does debt come from, right? Okay, the problem. What's the problem with debt? Some people are like, well, what's the problem with debt? Now, debt's a really good thing. Debt financing is what's enabled us to develop as an economy. Right, if we couldn't borrow money from England, we wouldn't have the farms that we've had to, that have produced what we've. If we couldn't borrow money from other places, we wouldn't have had power stations in New Zealand. So debt financing is not a bad thing; it's an important part of our economy, right? 
Most of, us, most of us who own a home, we don't actually own it all yet, right? But it's through debt financing, right? So when you're borrowing money on something that's appreciating in value, then that's not dumb debt. That makes a little bit of sense. In the most part, a student loan is like that. Now, not entirely, right? right? If you're borrowing a huge student loan and you're studying music and dance and popular culture, that's not a great economic decision. It might be a beautiful artistic decision, uh, but it's not a great economic decision, right? Uh, but when we think about dumb debt, the the problem with it is, um, is, is the fact that God doesn't like it. He says this about debts. Owe no one anything except your obligation to love one another. Now, the problem with debt is that debt starts making decisions for you. And the problem with things that make decisions for you is that now they are in charge. If something in your life is in charge and it's not God, then you have a problem, right? God doesn't like anything that comes between him and us, right? He doesn't like anything to come in between that relationship. And he says in Exodus 25 that you must not bow down or worship other gods, right? If something other than God is making decisions for you, then you're in that same position, bowing down and worshiping. Something is bending you and something is pushing you. And a high level of bad debt is going to do that. It's going to make decisions for you, right? That's the same with any addiction or any compulsive behavior. Why is it a big problem for God that you have that compulsive gambling problem? Well, it's, it's actually not a big deal, right? It's not a big deal, except the problem with it from a, from a theological perspective is it's become God because it has power over you, right? And that's the same with debt. That's why God says, don't owe anyone anything except your obligation to love. Now, that's an important except, right? Okay, Galatians 5.1 says that it's for freedom that Christ has set us free. And this is talking about the, the, our freedom from the law, but it's, it's true of all of our life. God wants us to be free, right? He wants us to be free. That's why he freed us from the obligations of the law so we could be free to relate with him, right? That's the whole nature of grace. And God wants you to be free. Do you know, if God wants you to be free, you know, if God, if God wants you to be free, do you know what? God can actually make it happen, right? So right now, if you're under pressure, and I don't know anyone's financial situation at all, right? Literally, I don't know anyone's financial situation at all, right? But I do know that there are people under pressure, right, in all sorts of different spaces. You might be under heaps of pressure and have heaps of money. You might be under heaps of pressure and have no money, right? There are people in this room who are free with no money, and there are people who are free with lots of money. The issue is free, not lots of money or not much money. The issue is, are you free? Are you free to follow God? Are you free to express the call of God that's placed upon your life, right? So God doesn't want anything coming out between us and Him, and God wants us to be free. Everyone say free. You can write this down. Debt moves us towards bondage. I think about debt. When you think about debt, what is debt? Debt, what you're doing when you take out a bad debt, you're borrowing money off your future self, and you're only going to pay back some of it. Generally speaking, half of it. If it's bad debt, you, you, you're borrowing. You're borrowing. Say you're borrowing hundred dollars off your future self, and you've already decided you're only going to pay them half back because of what you're going to have to pay to the to the person you borrowed. Yeah, I think that's the best way to think about debt, right? I understand. I've, I know. I know all about debt. I've known from the inside out, right? Right. But that's what you're doing when you borrow for things you don't really need. So I'm not. So exclude your family home. Exclude borrowing for you know your your the education for what you know God's called you to do for the thing you're gonna make a difference in the world right. Maybe exclude your car loan if it's you know maybe maybe not. Try to think about because that could be quite a dumb debt as well, right? Only you know what's the dumb debt and what's the good debt, right? Only you know right because you know how you felt when you bought that thing. 
because that was the issue, right? When you're doing that, you're borrowing off your future self, right? Debt always moves us towards bondage and away from freedom. Now, where does, um, I, I reckon it's an interesting thought, where does, where does debt come from, right? How do, we, how do we get into debt and, and why is it a, a bit of a problem? Because if you think about it, if you, you don't need a huge amount of financial knowledge to understand the power of compound interest. In fact, uh, Einstein said it's one of the most uh, unchangeable forces in the universe is the power of compound interest. Uh, <laughs> uh, the, um, you don't need, you know I, I know, I know enough about debt to know not to get into it, but it hasn't stopped me getting into debt what I know about it. Why? Because there's something other, there's something else at work, and I reckon it's it's locked up in the Bible, and it, it says in the in the Bible. Let me see if I can find the reference. It says somewhere, it says it in yeah Exodus twenty verse seventeen. I think this is probably the issue for us, right? It says you must not covet your neighbor's house. You must not covet your neighbor's wife, male or female servant, ox or donkey or anything else that belongs to your neighbor. So if you just remove the wife, the servants from there, it makes more sense because we don't own people anymore. Um, You must not covet your neighbor's house. You must not covet anything else that belongs to your neighbor. If you think about it, covetousness is the driving force in our consumer economy. And we need to be aware of it that covetousness is sin. Covetousness is sin. So write it down. Covetousness is sin. Same as sexual immorality is sin. Same as punching your mum in the face is a sin, right? It's a sin, right? Swearing at the pastor, that's a sin, right? These are all sins. Breaking wind in public, it's a sin, right? They're all sins. And covetousness is a sin. Now, you wouldn't be caught dead. I hope you wouldn't be caught dead in some of the other establishments up and down the street here. Right? Because you know that that establishment is all about sexual immorality. Right? Do you know, I don't need to name names, not people, right? But the establishments, right? We wouldn't be caught dead there, right? But we wander Westfield without thinking about the environment that we're in. Now, I'm not saying you can't go into Westfield without committing sin, but I'm saying you're going to struggle not to cover if you spend lots of time at the mall, if you watch a lot of TV advertising, because the marketing department in most consumer companies could simply be called the covetousness department. What are they trying to do? They're trying to create covetous responses inside people to condition them to purchase the product, right? Because if we stopped buying things we don't need, a lot of very powerful people would lose a lot of money. If you straight away, as an economy, if we stopped buying what we don't need, there's businesses that would go out of business within three months, within one quarter. There'd be a massive shift in our economy. Do you know, if Christians stopped buying things that they didn't need, you'd have a massive shift in the economy. Do you know, if me and Chrissy stopped buying things we don't need, I will personally have a massive shift in my economy, right? Right? But what's covenants? Can I define it for you? Covetousness, see if you've ever heard, if you've ever done this. Maybe, maybe we could have a confession time, right? To covet is defined as this, to yearn to possess. To yearn to possess something, especially something that belongs to someone else. Now, it's a funny thing, this sin. Covetousness is a, is a, is a unique sin. Because nearly every other sin, particularly the commandments, are about what you do, what you say, right? But this one is about just the yearning of your heart. So covetousness doesn't have to have any physical expression to be sin. Now, for the Old Testament, it stands out amongst the whole list. 
right? Jesus took murder and put it back in the heart and made it a heart thing. He took sexual immorality and made it a heart thing. But covetousness would only ever exist in your heart. Do you know you can buy everything in the world and not covet? You could buy nothing and be full of covetousness and controlled by it because it's what's going on in your heart. This is the deal. Only you know when you buy something or when you look at something where the covetousness is at work. And covetousness at work within us is what drives us to buy things that we don't need, which is the single biggest cause of unnecessary debt. Right? Yeah, it's the thing that makes you spend $10,000 or $50,000 more on the house for things you don't quite need, but to get one street better because you yearn to be in that right school zone, right? Now, that's, that's a different deal than the money you spend on your credit card on clothes, right? It's a different sort of deal. So we've we got to understand, come on, we've got to understand, don't we? There's a faithful way to think about money and operate it. There's a faithless way to think about money and operate it. And covetousness is one of the things that's controlling us into debt, right? Can I get a witness? It's a, it's a real deal, right? Let's go back to that first scripture. And it says this, owe nothing to anyone. The old translation says, let every debt be settled. So it's talking about money. Yeah? Good. Except for your obligation to love one another right? Except for your obligation to love one another. If you love your neighbor, you will fulfill the requirements of the law for the commandment says, and it goes on, it lists some of the commandments, not all of them. One of them that does list is this one though, you must not covet, right? This one, these, these all come into this one commandment, love your neighbor as yourself. If you love your neighbor as yourself, you fulfill all of the requirements of the law. Now here, here's where the problem comes, here's where a problem comes in. When you put yourself under pressure financially, Borrowing too much, so your mortgage is too big. Your your car loan is stupid because you borrowed a lot of money on a car that's now broken down. Right, uh, your credit cards are out of control because of spending. Right, cool. Or 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 or, or you've even got uh, you've got debts from with a finance company that are just humongous. Right, when you do that, you're positioning yourself in a place where you can't love people. Right. Because, because you haven't settled debts, you've got unsettled debts, right? Now, you're going to have to do a lot of thinking yourself here because you know what debt's good and what debt's bad, etc. right, in your own world. But your unsettled debts are preventing you from loving other people. Because how are you going to pay for someone's meal? Oh, I love them. I love them in Jesus. That's really good that you love them in Jesus. But you know, people really feel love when you buy them food. Yeah? But you can't do that if, if, if covetousness has pushed you into a lot of bad debt or, or, or some bad decisions or even bad luck has pushed you into some bad debts, right? Because it's not just bad decisions. It's also bad luck that will get you there. But come on, it's God's, God wants us free, right? What Free to do what? Free to love people. See, the, 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 the motive, I see motivation. Some, te- some people want to get out of debt because if they feel bad about it, and that's a good motivation because debt does make you feel bad. And you get the statements and you can get to the point where you don't even read the statements that, you know, you have a problem when you're not opening mail if it's got a, let- if it's got a window, right? You know that you have a problem there, right? And, and it's controlling you. And you want to get, fr- get out of it so that you're free, right? But a lot of people want to get out of their bad debts so that they can take a holiday to the Gold Coast. Right? Or I want to get out of my bad debt so I can finally save up and buy a car. Now, you're, you're, we're missing the point a little bit there because we're still in that space where we're coveting. Where I want to get rid of this problem, this debt, because it's preventing me from buying the other things that I want. 
right? But the issue is that we, that, that we need to settle debts. We need to, we need to lower our debt costs so that we're in a more powerful position with our money. Remember, for Jesus, the mission was about, the money was about the mission and the mission was about money, right? Money was about making friends. You have to listen to the first sermon. Money was about making friends in heaven. The money that the resources God gives us is for extending His kingdom, right? But when we've, when we've got stuff locked up in bad debt, we've got to get free. And I want to tell you, the reason why you've got to get free is because God wants to use you powerfully. You know, you, not, not just so you can be free of debt and then, and then carry on. That would be, that's a good enough reason. But there's actually a whole other level of motivation that says, what, what would it be like to be so free financially that you could cover someone else's lunch? That's pretty awesome, isn't it? That'd be pretty awesome. What if you could be so free financially that when you see someone who needs a car, you could give them your car? Well, that'd, that'd be cool, wouldn't it? That'd be really cool, wouldn't it? That, that, that could, you could make some trouble in the neighborhood if you started blessing people like that. You know, my grandfather was the sort of person that when he found somebody in need, he would pay their mortgage for them. Well, why could he do that? Well, he wasn't a rich person, but he was powerful with money. And more than anything, he thought correctly about money. You know, when he found, uh, you know, he didn't pray for single mums. He would just find out where they lived. And him and his wife, my grand, they would just turn up. And they would literally, they would turn up and they would leave on the doorstep pram, car seat, cot, groceries, nappy. Like they would, like literally, they'd spend $1,019.80, right? On, on, on things for you, on a single mum in their church that they'd find out about. They didn't talk to the pastor about it. They didn't take up a collection because they didn't need to because they were free to. And now they went, they, they, do you know what I mean? They didn't need to be rich. They never needed, they, need, they never needed a second home. They never, do you know what I mean? But what they lit, how they lived was powerful and free and they extended the love of God in a way that I find inspiring now. Do you know what I mean? But some of us, and myself included, are not in that same place of freedom where we can just be a blessing to people like that because of the way we've, the way money has controlled us. And what I'm wanting to do today is, is I'm wanting to speak at the how we think. I want to provoke us in, in what we think about money because if we can think differently, we can position ourselves differently when it comes to money. Amen? In this room are people who have who have faced up big debts and paid them down and positioned themselves for freedom, right? There are people in this room who could sit down with you with your personal finances and that across the next two years, you could be in the same place they are, right? So wherever you're at financially, I want to say we, we as a church, we are want to help. We, don't, we, we, we can do a course in the future, but even, do you know what? There's people in this room who don't, they won't even, they don't even need to teach you a course. They will sit down with you and show you pencil and paper how to do it, right? Jimmy's had Pastor Graham sit down with you, eh, Jimmy? Yeah, pencil and paper. This is how you make it work because there's people in the, in the room who know, and there's people in the room who have been there. There's people in the room who can help you through it. Do you know where, whatever your pressure is at, I really believe that you can find freedom in it. I know for... For, for Chrissy and I, when we be, began to believe that we could find freedom, we, Chrissy runs a successful small business now because she had to. She ha- we have we got to raise three and then four children on a youth pastor's salary, right? That creates creative thinking like you wouldn't believe, right? 
right? But well, yeah, sometimes we can think, oh, I'm in a pressure position. And, and actually, we can use the pressure. The pressure crushes us rather than we say, oh, I'm in a pressure position. What are you wanting to teach me, God? What are you wanting to build in me, God, so I can come out of this in a strong, even in a powerful position? So, uh, you know, if you are under pressure financially, if you're under, if you're struggling with it, we want to see you find freedom, right? So that you can live, you can, you can have every debt settled so that you can be free to love. Amen. Very, very cool. I've got a whole thing that we're going to do in the next, in the next sermon, because this one's rage out of control, about how you actually practically go through and, and, and remove debt. But probably we, don't, we might not preach it, because if you want to know, I can just give you the notes and we can talk it through. Is that all right? I keep looking at my watch, but I can't see it because it's dark. But uh, let's pray. Is that all right? Let's pray. Why don't you close your eyes and bow your head? Talking to Alistair, but he's got earplugs in. So <laughs> awesome. Holy Spirit, we just welcome you into this place. We thank you for your awesome presence here. And Lord, we thank you that you are our teacher. And God, right now, uh, Lord, we just know that, that it's your desire for us to be free. And Lord, I just pray right now uh, across this place for, for courage to fill hearts. Lord God, for courage to fill lives. Lord God, people who are facing uh, a challenge with their finances, Lord God, whether that's a week-to-week challenge or whether it's a, a, it's a heavy debt load challenge, Lord, I thank you, God, that you've called them for freedom. You've not just called them to be free, you've also called them to be powerful. Uh, Lord, you, 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 you're desiring to position them in a place, Lord God, where they can make a difference with the money that you give them. Lord God, where they can extend your kingdom. Lord God, where they can experience the joy of being a blessing to someone else in a small way or in a big way, but in a powerful way, in a miracle way, where we can be the sort of people who can bless other people's lives. And Lord, right across this place, I just pray for courage to come. Come on, if you're facing a challenge in your finances, maybe just lift your hands and open your heart because I really believe God wants to put courage in you. And it's, it's, that's, about, that's about a miracle of God. It's not, a, it's not about better understanding necessarily. That courage is, is, is something of the presence of God. So come on, Lord, we just pray that you'd make us strong. Lord God, make us courageous. Lord, I pray for everyone facing pressure. Lord, challenges around money. Lord God, I just pray that they would have courage, Lord God, where they felt fear, Lord God, where they felt control, Lord, I pray freedom would come, Lord God. Lord, that they'd find that experience, Lord God, not just power over money, Lord God, but that experience freedom in their heart, Lord God, so that money isn't something that they fear anymore. Lord, money isn't something that's controlling them or the lack of it, Lord God, but that they'd be able to begin to see, Lord God, you begin, begin to bring resolution to those challenges in Jesus' name. Amen. Do you know, most times when the Bible talks about debt, it's always referring to, just about always, it's referring to a specific debt. And, and the, the biggest debt in the Bible is that, that the debt that we hold as humanity before Christ. And oh, there's that ancient hymn that says, you know, my, my debt's been paid. And I don't know uh, if we often realize, or we, I don't know how often it's brought to your attention just the level of debt that we held before God, the level of the, how far we were away from God. I, I was saying in the prayer meeting, sometimes in my mindset, I can find myself thinking about, the, the, thinking about Jesus in, in, in the sort of way that, that Jesus somehow came in and, and Jesus helped me in my life. But it's not true. It's not true that my life was sort of okay and that Jesus helped me. That's not true. That's actually a lie. 
the truth is that we were dead in our trespasses and sin. Our life wasn't sort of okay before Jesus came into our world. Maybe we thought it was sort of okay, but simply because we didn't have a big enough perspective to understand eternity, understand the weight of our sin that we carried from the day we were born, that we were born into slavery to sin, and that in Jesus Christ, our debt has been paid. All of that penalty for our sin was taken upon Christ, and He Himself gives us His righteousness in return. And and this morning before we close, I'd love to give people an opportunity to lay aside the weight of their sin, to lay aside that debt of sin and find freedom, not not, not, not freedom from financial debt, but a much more important freedom, a a freedom from the weight of sin. Not not just guilt, but the weight of sin, the eternal weight of it. And so why don't you close your eyes and bow your heads? And I want to pray in just a second. If you're here and you know that you need God to set you free from the weight of your sin, if you want to acknowledge Jesus today as your Savior and as your Lord and find salvation in Him and have your debts washed away, your record washed away, if that's you right now as everyone's got their heads bowed or eyes closed, just shoot your hand up wherever you're sitting. And once I've seen your hand, you can put it back down and, and, and then we're going to pray just before we leave. That's awesome over on my left. That's awesome. Is there anybody else you say, now I want to acknowledge Jesus as my Savior? That's awesome. Thank you. Is there anyone else? Just shoot your hand up, and then we're going to pray. If you're saying, yeah, I want to receive Jesus as my Savior, I want to commit my life to Him, and in doing so, that weight of your sin is relieved from your shoulders. I love what Jesus said. He says, cast all of your cares upon Him because He cares for you. Paul says we should cast off every sin and every weight, and we can only do that in the grace of the gospel. Cool. Can we stand to our feet, church, and pray? Is that all right? It's hard to stand up after you've been sitting in those comfort chairs for so long. Yeah, well, let's lift our hands. Let's open our heart to heaven. Let's, we'll pray this prayer together um, uh, alongside the two people who responded by lifting their hands. Uh, and let's believe for life-transforming power of the gospel to be at work in us. Amen? Here we go. Dear God, I thank you for your love. I thank you, Jesus, for dying in my place, for paying the penalty for my sin, So the weight of what I owe could be lifted from my shoulders. I thank you for your grace that is more than enough to cover my sin, setting me free. I'm choosing today to follow you, making you the center of my world. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen. Can we give God a shout of praise? So awesome to see people responding to Jesus. And uh, could, could I just say, if, if anything what I said this morning didn't make sense, and I'm aware this is a difficult topic, and do you know what I mean? And I think every, we've probably got people in the room here, every space in a financial journey, right? But I really believe wherever you're at, God wants you free. Wherever, whatever stage of life you're at, God wants you free, you know? And there are different times in life where there's different sorts of pressures, but we, I really believe that God wants you free, free, free so that financially, free so that you can do everything God's called you to do. Amen? Because we're not here just to mark time. Are we? We're here to transform the world. Amen? And it's going to require the freedom of God to work in us. So could I, if, you, if there's anything in there, oh, what did Jordan mean? Could make time, let's catch up during the week or talk after the service. Uh, and if you do want some help with your money, you do want some help looking at things practically, uh, we're more than happy, Chrissy and I can sit down with you, more than happy to tell you what we know. Right? 
Because we, we do know something. We don't know everything. We can tell you what we know. And if you need more help than we can give, there's definitely there's people we can point you in the direction of who can help you where we can't help. Is that all right? Very, very cool. Awesome.